All right, can you guys hear me okay? You guys can go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. And uh, if anybody was paying attention, there was supposed to be a uh, guest crew here this morning from Redeemer Fellowship. And there was a whole bunch of things that happened to the point where they weren't able to make it. And so I got the, the call to the bullpen in the last moment to uh, be prepared to bring you guys a message. And so I want to I try to keep this brief. I didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare something more full, but the Lord has put this on my heart, and um, I'm just calling it back to the basics this morning. I want to try to follow up where Dan was last week, and so go to 1 John chapter 2 if you're not there yet. Before I jump in, uh, let's just go ahead and just want to pray again. Lord, we call upon your name now uh, to bring wisdom, to bring spiritual understanding, and I pray for clarity, that you would just help me uh, present these thoughts uh, clearly and lovingly, and Lord, that your peace, that your unity would reign in Jesus' name. I want to start out by reading from 1 John 2, verses 3 through 6. You guys all there? You got a Bible? All right. Yeah, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right. John writes this. By this we know that we have come to know him, speaking of Jesus, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. And by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. This is the word of God. So I'm calling this this morning back to the basics. And you can go ahead and hit the next slide and... Um, I want to just start out as we read that verse. He says, this is how we know that we've come to know Jesus. If we do what? If we keep his commandments, right? And so I want to ask the question, what does Jesus command? It's an important question for all of us to consider every day, right? What does Jesus actually command? What does he desire from us? What does he call us to do to serve him. And I want to ask you to turn back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. I don't hear any pages slipping. You guys going there? Matthew 22? <clears throat> yeah, there we go. Good job. Good job. I'm, I'm turning there with you guys. Uh, rather than, uh, we're stepping away from Galatians for a few weeks. Um, so rather than hanging out in one passage, I have a few texts. So get ready to keep going to some other passages. Matthew 22, verse 37. Actually, let me say verse 36. This guy says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And so Jesus says to him, Here it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, this is the great and the first commandment. And there's a second like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, everything in the Bible is all about loving the Lord with your whole heart, with your whole mind, with your soul, and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what the Bible is all about. And I want to go back again, keep turning, guys, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is where Jesus got this wording from. Maybe you don't, like, you remember the Ten Commandments, right? You're like, maybe, I, I'm not sure where this commandment is in the Bible. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's at the front of your Bible, if you don't know, the fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
I just want to read from the beginning of the chapter. We just want to saturate ourselves with the word of God. It's better than anything I could come up with. It says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Here's the verse I want to hit on. Hear therefore, O Israel, people of God, hear this, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. The Lord Jesus, as he's answering this man, is calling back upon this text in Deuteronomy, which hammers home the point that doing the commandments of the Lord is all about loving the Lord your God. Remember commandment number one in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. Love the Lord your God with your whole self. But what does he say there in verse three? Be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may what? What does this say? that you may have long life and also that you may multiply in the land. The commandments given from God to Moses to the people was for the purpose of not only bringing glory to his name, Yahweh, the self-sufficient, all-powerful, eternal God, right? Loving him with your whole self exalts that glorious name. But he promises a reward, right? He promises that multiplication. He promises that long life, that it may go well with you. And so as you can see from just those few passages, loving the Lord your God with your whole self actually then spills over into loving each other, which is the message of 1 John, is that loving God results in fellowship with one another, unity with one another. And that fellowship with others in worship of the Lord results in multiplication and the Lord actually rewarding his people. This is, this is not like a, a quid pro quo sort of thing, like I do this for God and he does this for me. This is the generosity, the grace, the kindness, the mercy of God, that when we come to him and exalt him above all things, he rewards that. And that's a theme throughout scripture. And so going back to what Jesus said in Matthew, chapter 22, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with your whole self. The second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. But then at the end of Matthew, he touches on that theme of multiplication. Remember Matthew 28? What does he say in verses 19 and 20? Go therefore and and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them and teaching them to observe all the commandments that I taught you. So you have that theme of multiplication. Jesus is replicating the same thing that was happening in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. If you exalt the Lord your God above everything else, you will love other people. And when you love other people, there will be multiplication of God's people. Ever since the beginning, it's all been about multiplying the image of God in the earth, right? That's why he created us, to represent him in the world, and it's always been about multiplication. So back to the question of what does Jesus command? He commands us to love the Lord with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, our whole strength, all of ourself. He commands us, number two, to love your neighbor as yourself, and number three, to multiply by making disciples. And this is actually the mission of our church. Did you guys know that? Make sure we're all on the same page. The mission of Mercygate is to make disciples. We want to see that multiplication happening. We don't want to see a multiplication of converts or attendees or assistants or random people. 
We want to see a multiplication of people who are exalting the Lord God above all else. A multiplication of people who give of their whole lives to exalt the name of Jesus, which spills over into loving others. And so, I just want to, I call this missional math. Um, one plus two equals what? One. That was Larry's sermon. I'm changing the math. You were paying attention. You were paying attention to Larry's sermon. Um, in normal math, one plus two is three, right? And so, actually, when you look at these commands of Jesus and the way he has designed us to function, when you take number one, exalting the Lord God, loving God with your whole self, and you add number two, loving your neighbor, you get number three, multiplication. One plus two equals three. And so my question for us today, which I want to tie back into what Dan was talking about last week, are we keeping Jesus' commands as a church? And I want to highlight the corporate aspect of obedience, right? Because every single one of us is different. Every single one of us has different struggles, weaknesses, temptations, successes, giftings. We are all unique, right? Yet we're all made in the image of God. And when we're redeemed in Christ, he brings us into a body, right? Where we are all members of each other. Do you guys remember that picture of the body from 1 Corinthians? If one member of the body is suffering, the body is suffering. If one member of the body is rejoicing, the body is rejoicing, right? We are members of one another in Christ. And so when we look at this question of like, how are we actually doing in keeping Jesus' commands? We have to keep in mind the corporate aspect of it. We have to take our church as a whole. How is our church family, how is this body doing in keeping those three commandments of Jesus? That's the question that I want each of you to consider today. You know, in every field, in every facet of life, there is a goal, a purpose, and then there's some standard of evaluating whether or not you're doing that, right? Everybody who's ever had a job has been evaluated based on their performance, right? Now, I'm not suggesting that the Christian life is about performance. Don't hear that wrong. My point is that we have to ask ourselves, are we on task with what Jesus has commanded us to do? Are we going in the right direction, to use Dan's word, where are we headed? Where are we going? Are we going in the right direction? As a church, are we multiplying or are we being divided? And so the question, going back to 1 John chapter 2, go flip back there so you can look at the verse. question of whether or not we are on task and doing the commandments of Jesus we have to look at the fruit right we have to evaluate by the fruit Jesus said if if you love me you will keep my commandments and you will bear fruit he said you will be able to recognize my followers by their fruit and he said the this is harsh language but the branch that is not bearing fruit will actually be cut off and cast into the fire. And so I think it's so important for us to really evaluate as a church family, as a body, members of one another, are we bearing the fruit of those who truly have come to know Jesus and are doing his commandments? The fact is that if we lack the multiplication, if we lack the results, if we lack the fruit, we have to take a step back and look at the one and the two, right? If we don't have the three, then something's missing. It's basic subtraction. And so we've got to go back to the one and the two and evaluate, are we loving the Lord our God with our whole hearts, with our whole mind, with our whole soul, with our whole strength? And are we loving everybody else in here as ourself with the same love with which Jesus loved us? And this is, this is hard to say. Hear this in love. I'm speaking to myself as well. But this is exactly what 
verse 4 is talking about. The ones who say, I know Jesus, but actually don't do what he says is a liar. And the truth is not in him. This is, this is the burden that I carry this morning. That we would not be those who say we know him, but are actually lying. That is the burden that Dan and I have been just, it's been weighing on us. We want each one of you, this body of people together, to be certain that we have come to know Jesus. But the fact is, you know, everybody, everybody makes mistakes. None of us, has anybody reached full perfection in Christ yet? No. Tyler's closer than the rest of us. <laughs> None of us have reached the full maturity of the stature of Christ, right? We're, we are in this maturing process together, again, as members of one another. So if you step back, it's like, man, if you say you know Jesus and you're not doing what he says, you're actually a liar. That's hard to hear. But if you step back to the beginning of chapter 2, he says, if anyone does sin... In other words, if anyone does fail in how they're loving God, if anyone does give less than the best, here's what it says. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Let that land on your heart. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, he is the one who has taken the punishment for all the times that we lack love for God, all the times that we have lied about knowing him, all the times that we have brought division instead of unity, and all the times that we have hated our brother while saying we have fellowship with God. Jesus is the propitiation for those failures. Amen? We have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. I just want you to look around the room. Look at a person and in your mind, like think about the fact, as Larry said two weeks ago, Jesus loved that person and gave his life for them. Each one of you in here, Jesus obtained, purchased by giving his blood. And so he's calling us to walk as he walked. He's calling us to be of the same humility that he was. To be of the same mind of, as Christ Jesus. Have this mind in you which is in Christ Jesus, right? Not counting yourself more significant than you ought, but counting others as more significant than yourself. And if anyone does fail... If anyone does sin, we have that advocate before the Father. Yet, the ones who know Jesus, who are continually growing and giving themselves to him, he's transforming, right? That is the whole message of sanctification. He is transforming us into his image, making us like him so that we walk as he walked. And so how are we doing with all that? I want to read a quote to you from uh, A.W. Tozer. I have a few quotes here. He says, when it comes to keeping the commandments of the Lord, right? Think about the one, loving God, the two, loving others, the three, multiplying. He says, we got to keep the first things first. We should not be concerned about working for God until we have learned the meaning and the delight of worshiping God. God is trying to call us back to that for which he created us, to worship him and to enjoy him forever. And it is then, out of our deep worship, that we do his work. And so as we consider this question about keeping his commands, today I want to focus on the number one vulnerable communion, loving the Lord our God with our whole self. So back to Dan's question, where are we going as a church? I think the answer has to be 
we have to go back to the basics. We have to go back to the basics of being consumed with love for God. And so actually, as we renamed the church two years ago and wrote down the things that we value as a church and want to continue growing and valuing, um, there was three things. Vulnerable communion with God, intentional community with each other, and sacrificial mission to others. And if you notice, those three things line up with those three big commands, loving God, loving others, and multiplying. So the values, these are like biblical priorities for, for you to be equipped to grow as a disciple. And so in each one of those biblical priorities, there are specific activities that we want to be devoted to as a church. And it's as we give ourselves to those activities, those processes, the Lord, that's where he meets us and gives that transforming grace. Think about it this way. If you have a goal to lose weight, you want to have the vision of the losing weight, right? You want to have that as the goal, but you have to come up with more short-term goals, right? You have to come up with objectives along the way that will allow you to reach the goal. And so while loving God and loving others and multiplying, making disciples is the vision, the goal, right? We've got to have these things that we do along the way that God uses to help us get there. And so that's where the values that we have as a church come into play. They are, they are things from the Bible that God has called us to do, in how, and that's how he develops us into those multiplying disciples. And so today I just want to look briefly at the first one, vulnerable communion. And I want to read um, another quote to you. This would be from our actual statement of what our values are. How many of you have read those? All right. I just want to encourage you to go on the website and read the values. This is the one for today. Vulnerable communion with God. The core of the Christian life is one of glorifying God and enjoying his presence. God calls us to approach him with the vulnerability of little children. And as we approach him, he engages with us and reveals his heart and beauty to us. So therefore, as a church, we devote ourselves to vulnerably pressing into him through, specifically, biblical teaching, passionate worship, and fervent prayer. The idea of communion, not the communion we just took, the Lord's table, the other sense of the word communion is intimate fellowship with someone. There's a sharing of emotions, there's a sharing of feelings, there's a sharing of the deepest parts of yourself. That is the communion that we're talking about here. We have been designed to be in communion with God. If you know the old Westminster Catechism, the chief end of man, the whole reason that we're here is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You guys have that memorized? to enjoy him forever in community, in fellowship, in intimacy. That is why he created us. And so we have that language in our value. The Christian life is all about glorifying God and enjoying his presence. Specifically, when it comes to our value as a church, we, we want that aspect of enjoying God's presence to be elevated. We want to be people who enjoy being with God, who enjoy spending time with God, who enjoy giving of ourselves to God in intimacy, having those deep moments of fellowship with the Lord. And specifically, those, those ideas come from, turn with me to Psalm 16. There, there is Bible verses for this stuff. I'm not just going from the back of my mind. Psalm 16, starting in verse 8. The psalmist writes, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me. 
Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Think about that. At the right hand of the Father are pleasures forevermore. And because of what Jesus has done, he's actually brought us into some of those pleasures now. We will experience so much more in heaven, in glory. But Jesus gives of his pleasures, his grace, his generosity, his kindness, the riches of his mercy, even now. And so we want to be people who actually, like, enjoy that, right? How many of you, don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but how many of you have ever opened up your Bible and you just thought, like, eh, this is boring? I'm going to raise my hand. I've thought that before. You, you sit down to pray, and you begin to think about everything else. I hope I'm not the only one. You come into church, you start to listen to a message, and you start to zone out. I've done that. All I'm trying to say is that we want to grow in being people who actually enjoy being with God. What would you do if you were on a deserted island and you had no music to sing or listen to, you had no entertainment to keep you busy, you had nobody else to talk to, only the Lord? Would you enjoy that? Now, I think the fact is this is the journey of the Christian life is that none of us enjoy that at the beginning, right? And so the Christian life, as I just said, is, up, is the core of it is about learning to enjoy his presence. As we begin to know him, as First John says, as we come to know him, there's a relational process, right? We don't have it all figured out in one moment. But the journey for us as a church is to grow in our depth of enjoying the Lord, where we don't want to leave his presence. We don't want to stop praying. We don't want to stop reading the Bible. We don't want to stop worshiping. We want to enjoy him and stay there and tarry and linger with him. Turn with me to Psalm 73. This is another passage that speaks of enjoying the Lord's presence. Psalm 73, verse 23 says, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Guys, this is the goal for us, that we would grow in that enjoyment of the Lord, that we would grow in like, I have nothing else in this earth but him. I have nothing else in heaven but him. Many of you guys have probably heard the quote from John Piper. God is most glorified in us when we are most, do you know it? Satisfied in him. He is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so this idea of communion with the Lord, glorifying God and enjoying his presence. Do you see how, do you see how that connects when when we enjoy the Lord, when we dedicate, devote ourselves to enjoying Him, He is glorified in us. God calls us to approach Him. This is moving on in the next statement of our value. He calls us to approach Him with the vulnerability of little children. Turn to Mark chapter 10. Christian life is about glorifying God and enjoying his presence, and he calls us to approach him with the vulnerability of little children. 
think we've all heard this excerpt from the Gospel of Mark, but I want to read it. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 14, actually starting in verse 13. People began to bring children to the Lord Jesus so that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. And then he took the children in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now I know for those of you who have children, you get this concept of vulnerability of a child before their parents. And even if you don't have children, I think you get it. But my children, I was thinking about this, like what does that look like? My children show their vulnerability by allowing their weaknesses and their dependencies to be seen and known and acknowledged, and they don't try to hide those things. My children do not try to hide the fact that they need me. They don't try to hide the fact that they want help with something. And this idea of being vulnerable, you know, there's different senses to the word. I'm not talking about vulnerable to attack or danger. We're talking about vulnerability when it comes to showing your weaknesses and allowing them to be seen and known. And it also carries the sense of readily <coughs> yielding to something. And so for my children, the vulnerability of my children means that they depend on me for everything. There's nothing that they think they can do of themselves at this point in life. That's why it's constantly, dad, 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 mom, mom, mom. I need this, I need that. They're very honest about the fact that they're completely dependent. And not only are they completely dependent, but they're completely trusting in the fact that I can do what they want or need. And it's actually um, very flattering at times when they ask you questions that are like, I have no idea, but they think I know this. You guys have felt that, right? It's like, I don't know. But they trust in their dad. They trust that I know the answers they have. They trust that I have the things that they need and will provide it freely for them. And so there's a sense of honesty before me. Now, I'm not saying they never lie. They do. But when they come before me in need, there's honesty there. There's simplicity there. They recognize dad has what I need. And not only are they honest and trusting and dependent, they're actually persistent. Have you guys seen the little cartoon of Stewie? Mom, 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 mom. <laughs> that is real life with little children. They are persistent. They know they need something, they know you have it, and they don't stop asking until they get it. These are the vulnerabilities of little children, which Jesus is speaking of when he says, those are the type of people that inherit my kingdom. Those are the type of people that come to know me. The ones who recognize their dependence. The ones who are poor in spirit. Those are the ones that I bless. The ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those are the ones who inherit the earth. The ones who are persistent in coming before the throne of grace. Trusting that our Heavenly Father will provide everything. That is the vulnerability. Yet adults seem to complicate things, don't we? We just make everything that is so simple so much more complex. I remember taking a summer course one year in college that was a different college than I went to, and it was like all adults, like continuing education. I was the youngest one in there, and it was an economics class, and I remember like the professor would ask these questions, they're like basic economics questions, and all the adults in the room made everything so much more complex. And they start asking, well, did you mean this or did you mean this? Because it could mean this or that. And they just complicate it. You guys know what I'm talking about? Once you've experienced life some more and you understand the complexities and the nuances, 
it just makes everything that you think about more complex. And I remember sitting in that class, I was probably like 19 years old, like, why are they making this so hard? Like, this is easy, this is simple. To be childlike in faith before God is to go back to that simplicity of a child. It's not to complicate it. God has revealed himself to us in a way that we can understand him. He, because he wants to be known. He's given us so many examples. He's given us human relationships where we can learn something of him. He's given us his word where we can learn of him. He's given us nature where we can behold his power. He's given us so many things where we can find his character and his goodness and his beauty because he wants to be known. And so it's to come before him with that childlike vulnerability. Like, he has everything I need. I'm going to be persistent. I'm going to go after him. And so as a church... I, th I think sometimes we carry that complexity of being an adult in here. And I think sometimes we are a little bit hesitant to have the vulnerability of a child because of the fact that we've experienced difficult things, right? We've gone through hard things. We've all experienced painful things. We're all battling weakness and sin and temptation. And so we let that complicate the simplicity of being like a child before the Lord. Now, the next phrase says that when we come before the Lord like a child, he engages with us and he reveals his heart and his beauty. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. This is that idea that we've talked about of expecting something from the Lord when we come to gather together. And I know we've, we've had a lot of discussion about that idea. Should I expect something from the Lord when I come to worship him? And I would stand strong in defending the biblical truth that God promises to reward those who seek him like a child. And so, yes, we should expect that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is what? impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to God must believe not only that he exists and that he also what rewards those who seek him the Lord promises to reward those who seek him again this is not trying to earn something this is like the Lord saying this is how I am as a father when you seek me I reward you Jeremiah 29, flip back to there. This is another familiar passage, but don't let the familiarity pass you by. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. He says, you will seek me and you will find me when you, what? When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. So he rewards those who seek him. He promises to reward those who seek him with their whole heart. He promises to be found by those who seek him. And 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Go ahead and flip there. First Corinthians 12, verse 7. He says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The manifestation of the Spirit, in other words, the manifest presence of God in all the variety of ways that he promises to reveal himself, is given to each one but it's given to those who seek him with their whole heart. It's given to those who seek him like a child. If there is no seeking, there is no finding. The kingdom of heaven is like a precious 
pearl that is buried, right? And the, the merchant, or actually, I'm getting the stories confused. There's a treasure in the field and a pearl of great price. The, the kingdom of heaven is like those two things where you sell everything you have to achieve, to earn, to get, not to earn. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting off track here. You sell everything you have to acquire the pearl of great price and the treasure buried in the field. Do you see the seeking is how the Lord calls us to respond to him. The seeking of a child with that dependence and that faith and that expectation is where the Lord meets us. And it's to each one who seeks him that he reveals himself. And he reveals himself for the common good. You guys following the train of thought? I know I, was, I didn't have a lot of time to prepare this, so I apologize. But the train of thought that I'm going after is that the Lord engages with us and reveals himself when we seek him. You get that? Does that make sense? So when we approach the Lord with the vulnerability of little children, he engages with us and he reveals his heart and his beauty. Life with the Lord is in some ways just like a relationship with someone else where there, there has to be cultivation. It doesn't just happen like that because he created us for relationship, for communion, for fellowship. And so this childlike seeking, just like my kids coming after me, dad, I need this. Dad, can we do this? Dad, can I, I want to be with you. I want to, my children are arguing over who gets to ride in the car with me. Like, are we that hungry to be with the Lord in the presence of his people? Are we that eager to be in the presence of God? Another quote I want to share with you from Tozer. He says, In my creature impatience, I'm often caused to wish that there was some way to bring Christians into a deeper spiritual life painlessly by short, easy lessons. But such wishes are vain because no shortcut exists. God has not bowed to our nervous haste nor embraced the methods of our machine age. It is well that we accept the hard truth now. You ready for the hard truth? The man who would know God must give time to him. He must count no time wasted which is spent in the cultivation of his acquaintance. He must give himself to meditation and prayer hours on end. This is coming from a man of God who had a deep relationship with the Lord, who was a powerful speaker, who was a powerful leader in the church. And he's saying you only get there through dedicated, devoted time of cultivating that relationship. And it takes hours on end. There's no shortcut. And so to that end, our value is that we devote ourselves to vulnerably pressing into the Lord through biblical teaching, passionate worship, and fervent prayer. This morning, I'm, I'm just so overjoyed. I think this morning was a time of passionate worship. Do you guys agree with me? Yes. That was a blessing to me. And even just to be honest with you, like moving the chairs around for me was sort of like a step of faith. Like I, I felt the Lord like we need to be looking at each other. We need to be surrounded by each other. We need to be in fellowship with each other in worship. And I, I'm just so thrilled i'm so eager that i just took that step i know people get uncomfortable when you move things and i'm so thankful that i like i think hearing each other sing like that it was so encouraging to me and we're going to do some more singing in just a few minutes so don't fall asleep but <laughs> we devote ourselves to pressing into the lord through receiving his word and teaching passionate worship and fervent prayer Passionate means capable of expressing intense feelings. It means enthusiastic. And this morning it was. We want to value that. We want every time of worship to be that way. We want every moment we're in the presence of the Lord to be enthusiastic. Now I understand that as individuals are going through difficulties... This is part of that vulnerability. 
you come here with that vulnerability saying, I'm not okay, but I need to be in that environment, that atmosphere of worship. And so as the rest of those who are, who are doing okay, who are, who are being sustained and, and joyful, as they're passionate and ardent and enthusiastic in their worship, the ones who are struggling are brought into that joy. Do you see that? And I know like, it's so tempting and so easy when you're struggling to put the wall up and to remove yourself from that environment. That is the easy thing to do. Even in relationship with your spouse or with a best friend, it is easy to not be vulnerable, isn't it? Like, hey, how's, how's it going? Oh, I'm good. It is so easy. But this is like the thing that we value is bringing those vulnerabilities into the environment of the presence of God. And that's where he meets us with grace. And so as we come together, like every time we're in God's presence, we're going for it. And those who are weak are lifted up, right? And from time to time, it could be you, it could be you, it could be someone else. But as the church body gathers with that passionate worship, loving the Lord with our whole self, that's when he meets the struggling one with grace and lifts them up. Fervent prayer. The word fervent means hot, glowing, with heat, exhibiting great intensity. We want to be a church that is that way with prayer. And I, I think I said this a week or two ago, like, uh, even when it comes to the issue of the unborn and abortion, like, I was very convicted that my prayer was not fervent in that area. And there's other areas that I would confess. My prayer is not that fervent for that particular thing. And so, again, where we fail, where we fall short, we have an advocate before the Father who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, right? He's faithful and just to fill in what we lack, yet he calls us to living a life that is, like, so glowing hot with prayer. Have you seen the movie War Room? Like, he calls us to a lifestyle of doing war in prayer. We don't battle against flesh and blood. I said this to Larry on Wednesday. We, we had a prayer walk for, against the violence in this neighborhood. And we spent about an hour praying for the neighborhood. And after an hour, it was like, I felt like we barely scratched the surface. Our, the weapons of our warfare are not physical, Right? We don't battle against flesh and blood. And so everything that we need that the Lord can help us with and provide for us, he calls us to be that persistent widow before the judge, as Dan and I talked about that. He calls us to be persistent, to be fervent, to be zealous in prayer. And so again, like this is the thing that we want to value as a church. We want to value teaching the Bible Worshiping the Lord passionately when we're together in fervent prayer. I want to share with you another quote from C.S. Lewis and then a verse, and then we're going to sing. You guys like C.S. Lewis? Yeah. He says, The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness or fear is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historic personages, children, flowers, mountains, stamps, beetles, even sometimes politicians. I had not noticed how the humblest minds praised most, while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that's magnificent? 
the psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but actually completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. That thought is the heart of what we want to value in our communion with God. We want to enjoy the Lord so much that we spontaneously are overflowing into praise, and that's the thing, right, that causes us to multiply. When we enjoy the Lord so much, we can't help but speak of him to others. We can't help but act like him. We can't help but love others the way he loved us because we're so enraptured with his love. We're so stuck on his forgiveness and mercy and grace that I just want to forgive you and you. I want to show grace to you. I want everyone to experience how good my God is. That is the heart that we want to cultivate as a church family. And it's that heart of vulnerable, childlike communion with the Lord that will stir up the other two things. The community with each other, loving one another, and then multiplying. I like the way that Paul says it in Philippians 3. He says, I have counted everything else as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord. I want to leave that with you as the conclusion. I counted everything else as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Whom have I in heaven but you? Whom have I on earth but you? Lord, I just lift up my brothers and sisters in this room before your throne of grace, Spirit of God, I, I want to ask you to come and, and help us with this heart of vulnerable communion. Lord, I pray that you would come stir up within us that enjoyment of being in your presence. Lord, I pray where there are other things that keep us from your presence, that you would just convict. Lord, would you put your finger on those things? If there's things that need to be let go of, Lord, we've got to let go of them. As long as we hold on to the things of the world and count them as worth, then we will neglect and forsake the surpassing worth of knowing you. And so, Lord, I, that's my prayer today, that that we would grow deep and rich and full in our love for the Lord, in our understanding of communion with you. Lord, that we might truly enjoy you. Lord, that our love for you would overflow so that when we're together, we're just eager to praise, eager to sing, eager to shout, eager to express that enthusiasm, Lord. For those who struggle, who are going through dark times, who are feeling alone, who may feel depressed, who may feel pain, Lord, I lift them up before you. I lift them up before your throne, and I ask that you would sustain them, that you would minister to them, and that they would truly taste and see your goodness, Lord, that they would feel your nearness. You are near to the brokenhearted. And so, Lord, I pray as we, as we press into you, as we are devoted to approaching you like a child, Lord, that you would strengthen those who struggle, strengthen those who are burdened, and set them free. I just, I, I pray, I lift up the, the heavy things that we've talked about over the last week. I pray for this church, Lord. You know, my heart is to see this church thriving in depth of love for you. My longing is to see this church multiplying out of love for you. Not getting the cart before the horse and working to earn something, but Lord, 
being so consumed with love for you that we just can't help but multiply. So Lord, I pray that you would help us. Pray even now, Lord, if there's things that need to be to be prayed for or hearts that need to be ministered to, that you would um, allow that to happen. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, I'm going to let uh, Tommy lead us in whatever, whatever songs you want to lead. And we're going to close with a few songs. Yeah, come on. Because I want to sit here and say thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your participation in whichever way you did. I just appreciate you. This is what he was just saying is what we need to continue to do. Okay, I'm vulnerable right now, and I was vulnerable, and you guys came in and filled in where I was vulnerable. So now it works both ways. So this happens, if, uh, God forbid, if anything was to happen to any one of y'all, I would be there for you guys. But again, I want to thank you. I want uh, My wife wants to thank you. Um, she appreciates all the help that you gave her and all the support you gave her. And we just, we love you guys, man. We just love you and we thank you. Amen.
Grace and peace to you guys. Grace and peace. I love you guys.